seated. Good morning. What a great day. This is a good crowd. Thanks so much for being here today. I don't know about you guys. We did that baptism a few minutes ago. Man, that is the most invigorating, exciting thing, getting to be a part of baptism. And I don't know if you've noticed this. We've had a lot of those lately. Uh, two high school guys already, a middle school guy. Uh, I've got a high school guy kind of on the way. We're working on two middle school guys. God is doing some neat things specifically with our high school guys, middle school guys right now. It is very exciting to see. Uh, however, there's more. If you ever have a moment where you're doing nothing, man, pray for our church. Pray for our students. Not only this, we've got more some adults coming up. God's doing some neat things right now, and it's kind of exciting. What's fascinating is this message today. You know, normally when I preach a sermon, I have a format. Everybody has kind of their format. I try to open up with something kind of fun, coming up something, I don't know, kind of exciting. Today, I want to tell you a story that happened about four or five months ago. Four or five months ago, we started praying about our Wednesday night direction, uh, some, some sermon series ideas I, I was working on. Dennis was doing some things he was kind of working on. And in our student ministry, we came up with this concept, Fake News. Uh, I've noticed over and over, it really hit hard at D-Now. Our students, all the lies that Satan is telling our students, you're not cool enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough, you're not, the list goes on and on and on. And we and listen, I, since I'm the student master, I'm the student master, that was student. Since I'm the student pastor, it rhymes with, it's been a long day. In fact, we're going to bring this up again in a few minutes later on the sermon. So you're, you're the student pastor. You tend to relate everything to students. Please understand, it's not just students. It is adults that hear the exact same lines. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You're not fast enough. You're not, you're not whatever. So several months ago, Dennis starts this, this concept where he wants to preach through Ephesians. And he starts a few weeks ago. We started this concept of fake news. And I knew that, that we had several sermons where we wanted to talk about where Satan's attacking us. And I knew that we wanted to finish with putting on the full armor of God and going to battle with Satan. But I didn't realize it until about a week ago when Dennis and I were talking that the conclusion of Ephesians ends with Ephesians 6 and the conclusion of my sermon series ends and they're ending literally on the same day. Now we, I'm like excited. I, I, I feel like everybody should be jumping up and down right now. But anyways, but we don't, we don't, and that's fair. Because we look at all these things in our life and go, well, that's kind of a neat coincidence. No. It's not a coincidence. There are things of man that God puts into place that we call coincidence. And the truth is, it's God working in a beautiful way. The problem is, Satan's doing the exact same thing from the opposite point of view. So today, I want to talk about Ephesians 6 from where our student ministry has gone. But coincidentally, beautifully, it kind of goes with where Dennis has been going as well. But if you don't get anything out of what we're talking about today, this is pretty pretty powerful. When you look up on the screen, listen to this. Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy all of us. Did you catch that? Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy all of us. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, Lord, you're holy. I love you for who you are and what you're all about. Lord, I praise you for this time today. Lord, I pray that we focus on what your word would have us, what your word would reveal to us rather than what I have to say. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. I don't know if y'all saw that. Just a second. Y'all see the devil pop up? Y'all see that? There he is again. I'm super dehydrated today, and I have a rock in my shoe right now. And this is not in the notes. This is an actual rock in my shoe. 
I changed clothes a few minutes ago, but it's kind of funny what's going on. Do you catch that? I have super dry mouth today, a rock in my shoe, and production. And listen, it's never production's fault. Following Billy in a sermon, ah, oh, that's much better. Following Billy in a sermon is hard. I understand that. But listen, here's the thing. We look at all those little things. We say, oh, man, there's just a rock in Billy's shoe. Oh, man, the devil picture just popped up early. Oh, man, whatever. No, 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 no. There are literally forces of evil planning, plotting against what we're doing. And this kind of makes me laugh because we as believers have fallen for the trick that Satan is just a Halloween party character, right? Just in this case, I think that's hilarious. Just a fat man with a goatee in a devil suit with a little pitchfork, right? And we kind of blow that off. Look at the next picture. Yeah, see that? We even like to think that's our kids. And listen, I'm not one of those anti-Halloween guys. I love Halloween. I think it's awesome. But we as believers have allowed ourselves to believe that Satan isn't real. And that's a real problem. I remember something that my oldest daughter, Reagan, said. This was years ago. And at the time, we just thought it was cute. But now when I'm thinking about it, it's pretty profound. She's about three, four, five years old. I don't remember. And our family was at a football game. And the team we were there to watch was playing the, the Bremen Blue Devils. And I remember as we were leaving the stadium, Reagan says to me, Dad, why would anybody want to name their team the Devils? And at the time, that was hilarious, people. Come on. <laughs> the early third service thought that was hilarious. Anyways... So I kind of laughed that off at that moment. I thought, oh, okay, that's kind of cute. No, we have allowed ourselves to believe that Satan isn't real. So three things I need us to really dig in today. Three things that we need to dig in today. Number one, we need to know the enemy. Number one, we need to know the enemy. If you've got a Bible, open with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 10. Listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of the enemy in heavenly realms. Now, the neat thing about Dennis, and, and I'm talking about this passage in Ephesians 6. You know what? The truth is, when we first started talking about this, I did not want to preach this passage on Sunday morning. Morning, Putting on the full armor of God. For those of us that are believers, that have been around Scripture, that have been around Bible study a long time, you've heard this passage, you've heard this concept over and over and over. But I realized I've never preached this before. Dennis was talking about he can't remember. It's been decades since this passage of Scripture has been preached. And it occurs to me, it occurred to him, this is a problem. Putting on the full armor of God is a big deal because as this passage says that we need to be fighting against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, I personally love this because of the military overtones. I love American military history. I love the story of modern American warfare. That's really exciting to me. So when I read this, this really gets my attention, especially with the tactical aspects that kind of go along with it. Basically, finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can, you can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Man, that, that is warfare-like. And we understand, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase before, knowing the enemy is half the battle. Have you ever heard that, that concept before? Interestingly enough, that quote is much broader than that. Look at 
this up on the screen. There's this guy named Sun Tzu. He wrote this book called The Art of, Article, uh, the Art of War. This was about 500 years before Christ. This is what he actually said, and it's pretty fascinating. If you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not fear the result of 100 battles. If you know yourself but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You guys catch that? That's pretty brilliant. And it's not just talking about warfare. This is literally our spiritual warfare. If you understand yourself, who you are, what your, your strengths and your weaknesses, if you understand that and you understand the enemy, you understand the enemy's strengths and weaknesses, the odds are you're going to win almost every battle. You're not going to have to really fear the battles. However, if you know yourself and you don't know the enemy, you're going to win just about as many as you lose. You understand that? But here's the real warning. If you don't know yourself and you don't know the enemy, you're in trouble. But here's the real problem. We like to think that we know ourselves. We like to tell our friends and our neighbors and, and act like on our social media that we understand ourselves, but I'm not so sure that we do. If we're going to face a very real Satan, we have to accept the, the fact that we have issues, that we have problems, and we need to address them because the truth is it's worse than that. If you look at the verse 11, you see the word schemes. That word is fascinating. The word schemes, look at this. The word schemes in the Greek comes from the, the Greek word methodia, which I just made up that pronunciation. I don't know if that's real or not, but we're going to call it methodia. Methodia translates to method. And if you think about that, the devil has a method for how to attack you. Do you understand? It's not a random rock in your shoe. It's not a man, random, you've got dry mouth. It's not a random, the devil pops up in the wrong place in the sermon. Everything the devil do, is doing is plotting, is preparing, is focusing, is organized to attack you and to bring you down. And we don't believe it. We just look at the devil as that funny Halloween character, the guy in the red suit with a funny little pitchfork, and we just kind of blow it off, don't we? Look at what, uh, this is fascinating, look at what Charles Boldare said. Look at this on the screen. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Isn't that fascinating? That's exactly what we do. We go through our lives, and sometimes beautiful life of faith. We have real prayer. We dig in and we study God's word, but we only understand half of the battle. And then we question ourselves, why is it that I win some and I lose some? It's because we know ourselves, for the most part, but we don't necessarily know the enemy. So what are we going to do? Second thing, we need to address the enemy. We've got to do something about it. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Listen to this. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may, evil, may eat bang. I have been taking this medicine that's making my mouth dry. And that's causing me a problem. May be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, waist with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith uh, with, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. I love this. All of these different things would tell us very specifically we have to address the enemy. We do not like to address our problems, right? As a general, we look at the problems in our life and we focus on them and we think, you know what? If I just back up off this, eventually it's going to go away by itself, right? Sometimes the problems do go away. But reality, they're more like bills. Bills come in the mail, and you take that bill, and you lay it on the dining room table, and you hope that it's just going to go away. You hope that it's going to resolve itself, but it's not. If you don't address that situation, someone else is going to address that situation for you. Does that make sense? But we fail in my student ministry. We see it all the time. Every day, every week, I get all these messages from students talking about things that are going on in their world. And, well, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? What are you doing about it? And they're just, just kind of hoping it goes away. Where do they get that? Listen, it's not just our students. It's all of us just hoping it goes away. We've got to literally put on each piece of this armor. I'm going to go through these kind of briefly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one of them, but the funniest one, interestingly, starts out with a belt of truth. I love this, the belt of truth. You understand your belt holds your pants up, right? The belt of truth is literally what goes around your waist and holds everything together. That's kind of funny to me. Think about this physically. Physically, if you want to expo expose yourself, it's simple. You don't wear pants, right? If you want, that was hilarious. Come on, y'all got to wake up. Are we awake? The early service was awake today. We need to do some jumping jacks or something? I don't know, man. Yeah. You want to expose yourself physically? Don't wear pants. You want to expose yourself spiritually? Don't tell the truth. That belt holds everything together. Our truth, the truth, is what holds everything together. Don't want to be exposed? Tell the truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness covers the heart. Isn't that fascinating? The hardest, strongest metal of all the body of armor covers the heart. If you look at our bone structure, the rib cage, the way it covers the heart, people at this time, they thought the heart controlled every aspect of your body, which made pretty good sense at the time. But here we go. Here they go, wanting to protect that heart. So they put the strongest metal there. And when we look at our righteousness, righteousness comes from the heart. It has to be protected. The third one is the sandals of peace. This is fascinating because it's our feet that takes us where we need to go. And in this passage, it tells us clearly our feet need to take us towards peace. Wherever the peace is, that is where our feet should be going. We should constantly, constantly be looking for the peace. In our student ministry, we talk about the word repent a lot. To repent is to be walking towards a sin, a problem, an issue, something that's wrong in the world. To repent is to physically move away and turn away from that problem. It's our feet that take us towards being a repentant person. Next one is the shield of faith. I love this one. Can you look at that picture up on the screen, the next picture? This is the most obvious tool. You ever thought about a shield? I love this picture. I have this sermon illustration file on my computer. There's literally a file that says illustrations, and it has hundreds and hundreds of things. I put this picture in there a long, 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 long time ago, and I thought, someday I'm gonna use this illustration for something I didn't know it was. And today's the day, so I'm kind of excited. Our shield, our faith, should be obvious. When you look at this picture, it is crystal clear which army to the enemy, which army these guys represent. If we all had a shield, it would probably have our logo, our whatever, something that represents us. We should live our lives in such a way that our faith is crystal clear 
to whoever sees us, that they know from a distance, I mean, this person's a believer. This person lives differently. This person has different goals, better, better values, and that should be obvious. The problem is we don't. We don't have our shield. We don't have that on it where everybody can see. Or excuse me, next to last, the helmet of, of salvation. You know, we make the decision for salvation in our brain, right? All of the important things that happen are decisions. That helmet protects our brain. Look at whatever issues are going on in your world. Nine times out of ten, the issue is because you've made a poor decision somewhere, right? We need to wear that helmet, that helmet that God's given us, in such a way that we're protecting our brain so that those decisions can be guarded. The last one, by far my favorite, is the sword of the Spirit. I love swords. I think swords are great. I have a sword in my office. Actually, it's not there right now, but I have a sword. When we write sermons, we put all these ideas, 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 and then over time, we whittle them down, whittle them down, pray, think through, whittle them down. In the original version of this sermon, I had my sword, and I was going to hold up my sword. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be very dramatic. And I was like swinging around a little bit, and it was like, wow, that's really awesome. The problem is, obviously, I'm not the most mature person in the world, and it would have come out of my hands, and then we would have an impelled middle school girl, and I'd be that YouTube guy forever. Youth pastor impels middle school girl during a sermon. I don't want to be that guy, right? But this is a powerful tool. And notice that it's not just a defensive weapon. All of these things we've talked about so far are the, for the purpose of defense. This tool is so much stronger than that. The spirit, excuse me, the sword of the spirit, which is literally the word of God, isn't just talking about a genuine sword. It's talking about our Bible, the word of God. Now think about this. Every defensive issue, everything going on in your world, the defensive answer is in here somewhere. We may not understand where it is, how it works, because we fail in the fact that we think that because all of this, most of this, you know, was somewhere in the 2,000 to 10,000 uh, year ago range, that it does not apply today to today's problems. Everything in here absolutely, positively applies to what's going on today. We can find a defense, but here's the thing. That's not good enough. Not only do we have to look at this as a defensive tool, sometimes you've got to address the enemy. The enemy is going to be there, it's going to be there, it's going to be there. You can defend all day long, but at some, time, at some point, you're going to have to do the third thing. Are you ready? You're going to have to address the enemy because the third thing the enemy will return. I, uh, the reason my mouth's so dry, I've been taking this uh, Allegra the last couple of days. You might have pollen problems. Pollen problems. Anybody have pollen problems in such a way you want to scratch your eyes out? Yeah, that's me. Here's the funniest thing. Like four or five days ago, three or four days ago, I was sneezing early in the morning. I was sneezing. No big deal. Sneezed a lot. And then uh, over the course of the afternoon, like my eyes were itching and burning. It's like, that's crazy. My eyes are itching and burning. And I'm sneezing. My eyes are itching. And it, and it hit me. Oh, wait a minute. It's pollen season. You're allergic to pollen. I knew this last year. We knew this was coming. I've been riding around going, look at all these pretty blooms. Look at all these pretty flowers. And not one time ago, better get your Allegra. We do the same thing with Satan. We know he's coming. We see the little signs. And then when he attacks us, we go, I cannot believe he attacked us. Just like pollen season. Who was surprised by pollen season? Come on, be honest. A few hands are like, yeah, I'm a moron too. No, it's okay. It's okay. Me too. We're solely surprised, totally surprised that the enemy comes. Listen to this. Ephesians 6, verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries of the gospel. We look at this little chunk right here and the word pray sticks out and it absolutely should. But there's one word in here that really jumps out at me in such a way. I think we need to stop and dig this. In verse 18, the first word is and pray. Now think about this. And pray. So he's been talking about the full armor of God. All these things that we need to be putting on. All these things that we need to be doing to protect ourselves. All these things that we're doing to, even with the sword, to, to take the, the, the fight to the enemy. But then he says, and pray. Do you understand that? All those defensive tools, all those things that are there, are equal to our prayer life. And then he spends just as much time talking about the importance of prayer as he spends time talking about the importance of this weaponry and this armor. Prayer is powerful. We don't respect <laughs> prayer. We don't, under, we don't truly appreciate the power of prayer. One of the most common questions, concerns, things that I deal with on a very regular basis Billy, I pray all the time, and I just don't feel like God's listening to me. I, you know what? I understand that. I understand that. My wife would probably say the same thing. I talk to my husband all the time, and I just don't feel like he's listening to me. He's not. He tries. He doesn't try. We all understand that, right? But it's the exact same. Weaponry defensive tactics equals prayer. The exact same thing. Prayer is communicating, communicating with God. I make a lot of that with my wife. The truth is, if you look at the healthiest times my wife and I have in our relationship, it's when we're communicating regularly. When we look at times in our relationship where our relationship is lowest, it is times when we are not communicating regularly. We joke about that all the time in this place. When, when, when things are going healthy and all the things are organized and everything, it's when we have good meetings and everything is well communicated. When we don't communicate, Crazy things happen. Things aren't ready. Things aren't prepared. And isn't that true in your life? In your job, the more communication, the better everything goes. The more you talk to your Father in heaven, the more you will understand when he responds back to you. Because the enemy will return. So here's the deal, man. Why is this such a big deal? We looked at silly Halloween Satan, and we made light of it. Listen to a couple of passages of scriptures that allude to Satan. First Peter 5 refers to it says that he prowls like a lion looking for something to devour. In 2 Corinthians, listen to this, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Matthew 4 refers to him as the tempter. In Ezekiel, there are three descriptive words that are fascinating. Beautiful, wise, and it actually uses the word splendor to describe the devil. Several years ago, many years ago, uh, I did a sermon series. It was kind of fascinating. It was called The Heaven or Hell Game Show. And uh, it was kind of this, this uh, play on the game, let's make a deal. Uh, you know, making deals with the devil is how we, we always want to make deals with the devil and how they never work out. We play games where, you know, you had a dollar and you play the game, maybe trade up or down or whatever. But the fascinating thing about that sermon series, we had this guy named Levi Coker. And in each of the series, there were four of them, uh, Levi dressed as the devil 
And he came into the service and he did like a four or five minute monologue on different passages of scripture and what the devil looked like. The first, day, the first week he came in literally as just that silly Halloween costume devil. And he had the little plastic pitchfork. And everybody kind of laughed. But after he did his monologue, they was like, whoa, this is serious. The second week, Levi came in, instead of the silly Halloween devil, he came in dressed in a, in a black tuxedo. And that really got everybody's attention. Whoa, we don't, we don't think of the devil being elegant, being professional, being organized. And we talked about that. The third week, we, uh, and the devil came in. He was actually wearing one of our choir robes. Because you know what? The devil gets into our church. And he tears down our church. And he hurts our church. And we talked about that. And the scariest of the four was the fourth week. Levi came in dressed as himself. Just a regular person. And, he, and isn't that true? That Satan attacks us the most towards with regular people. It comes in all forms, all different descriptions, all different positives and negatives, and we fall for them. And I need you guys, us, to understand, it's not just you. It's us too. Satan attacks pastors as aggressively, I'm not so sure, as, as more aggressively than he does other people. You know there's this stereotype, you ever heard this stereotype, that pastors, kids, or hoodlums, you ever hear that stereotype? You can laugh. It's okay. I know there's some in the room. That's a typical stereotype. You know why? Because I think Satan attacks us through our children more than he attacks us through anything. My daughter, I don't know, jokingly, has kind of outlined a book it's for pastors. It's called What Your PK Isn't Telling You. And they get attacked. We get attacked time after time, place after place. And it's not just you. You want to get attacked by Satan? Preach a sermon on Sunday morning. For me, it starts about 8.30 or 9 o'clock the night before. Typically on a Tuesday night, especially when I'm preaching on a Sunday morning. When I preach on a Sunday morning, 8.30 or 9 o'clock, I try to go to bed early because I want to get as much rest as, as I can because I get up really early uh, on days that I'm preaching. 8.30 or 9 o'clock, last night was about 9.30 or 10, you go to bed and you can't sleep. You just lay there and you think about all the dumb things that are going on in your life, that are going on in the world, and you can't get them out of your head. No matter how much you pray, but how much you focus on it, all these dumb things start focusing, and you start focusing on in your mind. During the course of the night, you know, it is not uncommon for me to get up in the middle of the night once. That happens from time to time. On a Saturday night when I've got to pray Sunday morning, it's like every hour, every hour and a half. You either gotta go to the bathroom, or you hear some crazy noise, or there's something that has you wide awake all night long. And then inevitably you get here and there's some little something, some little problem, some little thing, and you're like, where in the world did this come from? But it happens every week. So as soon as I walked up on stage and I felt that rock in my shoe, I started kind of laughing. I was like, really? One more thing? I'm already so dry. My mouth is so dry I can't get any of my words out. I'm exhausted. We had this awesome baptism, but I couldn't like enjoy it the way I wanted to because I, I can't talk and there's all these things that are running through my head. And every time, I'm being attacked just as much as you guys are. And I know it's bad for you. So what do we do? Here's the thing. Three questions we need to ask ourselves. Three questions we need to ask ourselves. Number one, is there a sin that defeats us? Is there a sin that defeats us? I would imagine right now in this room, the vast majority of your minds have instantly clicked on something that's going on in your world. A sin that defeats you. Today's the day. Tomorrow morning, give me a call. Dennis will be back next week. If there's a sin that is defeating you, we just talked about it. It has to be 
addressed. You have to do something about it. Because if you don't, it's just going to fester. It's just going to get worse. And then what's going to happen? Second thing, are there pieces of armor that we're neglecting? Are there pieces of armor that we're neglecting? Is the truth in our life out of whack? Literally, are we having problems with righteousness? Is something wrong with our heart? Are our feet carrying us in directions that we don't need to be going? Does, is our shield clear? Is it clear to the enemy who we are and what we're all about? Are we using our shield not only to defend ourselves? Are we using our friend's shield where we get close together and lock our shields and we can defend each other together? What about our mind? Are we wearing the helmet of, of, of salvation to keep our minds safe, to keep our mind focused on you? And lastly, the sword of the spirit. Are we using God's word in such a way that we are prepared to defend what Satan is throwing at us? And then when we have the opportunity, attack that problem as well. The third one. Are we addressing the enemy? Are we actually doing something about it? I'm not so sure that that we are. I ride through the battlefield a lot. I, I like to spend time in the battlefield. When I'm, when I'm um, studying and there's pretty weather, weather, I like to go out to the battlefield and, and read uh, the picnic tables uh, out there. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Can you show that next picture? All through the battlefield, there are monuments everywhere. And they all have acorns on them. Dozens and dozens of, and dozens of, of monuments. These are just some of, of my favorite. Uh, as I studied the war over the years, I've really come to love specifically these, uh, these monuments. Uh, the story behind these monuments, you probably don't realize, or maybe you do. Uh, during the Civil War, uh, the Union Army had three corps. Uh, one of the corps, the 14th Corps, was led by this guy named General Thomas. They came out of Chattanooga. The, the, the Confederate Army was somewhere around the Fed, and they met just, just right here, right out here, where, close to where we live. Uh, after uh, the battle got going really good the second day, James Longstreet punched a hole in the Union line, and the Union line disintegrated. Most of the Union army was in complete disarray. Two of the corps retreated almost instantly. They held back. Thomas, who was in a good position on Snodgrass Hill, held his ground. In fact, he held his ground so well that instead of a rout, the Union was able to be organized and get back into Chattanooga, and there wasn't much that the South could do about it. And what he told his guys over and over, most of the guys from Ohio, which I think is fascinating, mostly what he told his guys was, hey, listen, we are planting oak trees. I need each of you to, to, to you, each of you to be an acre. We're going to plant you right here, and you're going to hold the enemy so that everybody else can escape. Not long after that, they officially used the, the 14th Corps, officially started using that, that acorn as, a, as their logo, and it became a great source of pride in that core of the Union Army. And today, hey, listen to me, we've got to plant some acorns. Our homes are broken. Our jobs are not what they need to be. Our education system isn't going the direction we want to go. And we blame it on all the absolute wrong things and we forget that there's literally a devil, literally a person who came to steal, to kill, and destroy. Literally came to steal, to kill, and destroy. And we just kind of blow that off as coincidence. We need to plant into the ground strong and solid and grow up like mighty oak trees so that we can defend against whatever's coming after us. When I started this uh, sermon series with my students, the first night, I asked them to do an exercise. It's very simple. I gave them index cards. 
and I gave each of them an index card, and I asked them to write on the index card, what's the sin that you're dealing with? What's the frustration you can't get in front of? What is, what is the lie that you keep telling over? And I made it, made it clear, clear, don't put your name on this. I don't want to know what it is. Uh, I'm not going to sit down and try to decipher your handwriting and figure out what it, who it is and what it's all about. I'm not going to read them out loud and not going to read them out, out loud. Uh, I am going to overview some of them. Because when I read these, I wasn't shocked. I've been, I've been doing this for a very, very long time. There was nothing on here that caught me by surprise. And here, here's the thing. There are some, there are some in here that are beautiful. They're like almost testimony. God's doing some great things in my life. I'm in a great place. Continue to pray for me, blah, blah, blah. They're beautiful. But there's a lot of them that are just absolute, absolute lies from the devil. I wish you could really understand what's going through our students' minds. Now, please look at your understand again. It's, it's, not, it's not just the teenagers. It's not just the teenagers that are believing the lies. It's, it's the adults that are believing the lies. They were even spreading it to the teenagers. Basically, I hate myself. Students literally believe that there's nothing good about who they are, and it's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. We have to expose that, and we have to destroy it. Ah, pornography. I'm going to read that one because it comes in about five or six different ways. Not just our teenagers. We are dealing with things that, you know, when I was a teenager, if you wanted to look at pornography, it was work. You had to go find it. You had to steal it from somebody. You had to work for it. Today, listen, it finds you. And when it finds you, when Satan finds you that way, he gets a hold of your life. And it will absolutely destroy it. It's a lie. It's absolutely a lie. And we believers can wrap our arms around each other, can lift each other up in such a way that that lie goes away. I'm not reading this one out loud. Some of them are harsh. Fortunately, since we've done this exercise, a lot of our students, they've contacted me. We've talked through some of the problems. Some of them are ugly. Some of them are ugly in such a way, they're just, they're just not fair. They're just not fair what Satan is doing to people. And we just go, yeah, that's, that's, that's part of life. Satan is lying to us. He's killing us. And we're allowing that to happen. Another one. Ugly. I hear that one a lot. I'm not smart enough. I'm not cool enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not whatever enough. It's a lie. We've got to put that away. That's pornography again. That's a favorite. You know what's interesting about pornography? Uh, okay, maybe I did snitch a little bit. Uh, it's not just boy handwriting. You understand that? In fact, not only is it not just boy handwriting, the boy handwriting and the girl handwriting is about the same. Pornography is destroying our pornography is destroying our households. It's not just our teenagers. We've got a hold of believing in God. Someone was honest, honest enough to say, I'm having problems believing in God. I don't want to destroy this. I am going to destroy this because there's a lot of lies in there. Maybe this person is just a new believer. Maybe they're new at this. And they need to be, I don't know, counseled with. They need to be a part of our fellowship. They need to dig in more and more and more. And I'm not reading that one either. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's a lie from what Satan has told our students. This person has literally a list of things. And I don't know who you are. 
God loves you so much. He physically breathed his own air into the first person so that you could eventually become who you are. And there are people all over this room that want so badly to reach their arms around you, that want to dig into your life, that want to help you rise above the lies that Satan is telling you. So regardless of who you are, a 10-year-old or a 90-year-old, Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy all of us. 